Welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, a weekly look into the world of Royal Caribbean Cruising. I'm your host, Matt Hotchberg, and this is episode number 381. After almost eight months, the cruise industry has an opportunity to maybe be able to restart operations thanks to the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention's conditional sale order. And today, we're going to break down everything that you need to know about the conditional sale order up next. We're taking a break from the cruise stories this week to get back to the real world a little bit and talk about what's going on in the cruise industry, because a lot has happened, believe it or not, in the world of cruising, not just Royal Caribbean, but really everything. And uh, to help me break down what is going on, I brought on my very good friend, Ashley Kashulik, who is uh, the chief content creator, writer, all around great person from cruise.blog. Ashley, welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And, you know, there's so much happening. Um, we've been here on the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast uh, because so little had been happening in cruising in terms of, you know, obviously Royal Caribbean cruises. We've been looking back at past cruise stories for the number, last couple of months, actually. But I felt like this week would be a good opportunity to kind of jump back in and talk about what the one of the major things that's happened here in really the last like seven or eight months, which is the CDC's conditional uh, sale order, which replaced the no sale order at the end of October. And there's a lot that was put in. I mean, this is a really interesting and either it's sometimes very, very good and sometimes kind of almost scary um, type of legislation. What, what's, what's your thought on the looking at it holistically, the conditional sale order? What is it kind of um, what kind of uh, feelings did it evoke from you? Um, the first feeling was that it's very tedious. Uh, initially, it was a 40 page PDF. And then there was a supplement that the CDC issued to that, which was a list of technical instructions for implementing everything that was in those 40 pages. And as I was reading through it, I realized that it's mainly for crew at this point, because right now the cruise lines are working on getting them back on board. So I suspect there will be an additional supplement at some point to address the specifics of getting passengers back on board when it comes time for that to happen. Yeah, I mean, it, I got to echo this. Number one, the the forty page document. Talk about a snoozer. I mean, I thought I read some some snoozers before with maybe the healthy sale panel recommendations, but no, this was just written. Like I remember, like I think I made through the first like four pages and just was like, I, I, it, this reminded me of being in high school when I would read a book for English class and then realize I don't actually like I don't remember anything I just read. I was just reading. Like it was <laughs> yeah. just, it. I I couldn't actually like nothing soaked in. It was just such government legalese that um, it's really hard to kind of go through this. But luckily, I've got you, Ashley, because you went through <laughs> this and you figured out exactly what was in this. And, you know, it's been a couple of weeks, obviously, since this came out. But um, there's a lot of interesting takeaways. So I guess for the purposes of our audience here, um, you know, I think there's some really interesting and important things to note about um, what was in what, what is in actually the uh, conditional sale order. And um, what, let's start, I'll let you start off since you're our guest. What kind of stands out the most to you? What do you think is the biggest takeaway from um, the conditional sale order? The biggest takeaway, um, I think it's important for people to realize that this is going to be a very phased in approach. So there's not just a switch that someone's going to flip and suddenly you're going to see Royal Caribbean's entire fleet back out doing cruises. Um this is very much at the ship level instead of at the cruise line level. And what I mean by that is every single ship that wants to carry passengers is going to have to be certified by the CDC. And there are several steps involved in making that happen. So the cruise lines will have to get each of their ships 
up to up to snuff in terms of protocols and, and safety um, implementations, which right now is looking um, it's like a, it's a pretty significant list. And I I would guess that it is not cheap for the cruise lines to put some of these things in place. So um, I think that's the main takeaway is don't expect that suddenly it's just going to explode. It's going to be a slow drip at first. And then hopefully, you know, maybe by by middle to end of next year, we'll see it picking up a bit. Yeah, that that's a very important fact. I mean, there's going to be more cancellations by virtue of what Ashley just said. And I remember, I forget which executive, was it Michael Bailey or Richard Fain? But they basically said they there wasn't going to be a moment where this horn was going to be blown and all 26 ships were going to return to, to service. It was That's just simply not practical to do. And this they've said that even before all this stuff came out. But yeah, I mean, there's only going to be a couple ships to start with and they'll build up from there. Um, and, and of course, the follow-up question to that is always, well, okay, well, how long will that be? How long will this process take? And you know, reading through it, Ashley, it really sounds to me like this is, I mean, there, there is no timeline. It is when it's ready, it's ready kind of thing. And they're going to take it on a per ship basis, like you said. Um, and, and something else to notice that the cruise lines knew this was coming. They weren't blindsided by this. So I think they were working with the CDC behind the scenes before the CDC officially announced this framework on October 30th. So the cruise lines had a bit of a head start. They've already been working on getting crew back on board for several weeks. Um, so this is, I don't want to say that they'll be able to implement it quickly, but the ball was rolling before the public heard about it. Um, and you know, the, the phases, one of the things that's going to be involved is um, sort of like trial sailings where the, they do like a test run. Um, and I don't know, I assume every cruise line will handle it differently, but I know Royal has asked for volunteers, whether they be employees of the company or the general public. They actually, um, I think the other day, just put out a, a call on social media. Is that right? For people to sign up if they wanted to be one of the sort of guinea pigs, if you will. Yep. And, and I'm glad you brought that up because that's probably the next biggest topic, which are these test sailings and the opportunity to volunteer for them. And basically what the CDC is requiring is that the cruise lines, before they can get approval to sail, they need to offer a number of test sailings in order to basically demonstrate that here are the protocols, here's how it's going to work, you know, from start to finish. The thing is, um, these test sailings sound uh, kind of appealing to a lot of people, including myself, I'll admit that. But the, um, the thing to understand, I think we, we should probably talk about what a test sailing involves because this is not your father's test sailing as they would, I don't know anyone would say that, but that's what it would, <laughs> that's what it would be. Um, because, you know, you and I, you know, you and I have actually been on a test sailing before. We went on um, Oasis of the Seas uh, last year, and, but that was vastly different than what the CDC is calling for in these test sailings. Yeah. But, well, I think that's another major takeaway, even, even, after they move beyond the test sailings to the actual sailings where there are paying passengers on board, I think we can expect to see a very different cruise experience from what we've had before. Just in terms of reduced capacity, there's going to be far fewer people on board, um, more social distancing. I'm really curious to see how they handle things like dining and entertainment. Like if you go to a show in the theater, how are they going to space you out? Um, even enforcing the wearing of masks. If someone flat out says, hey, I'm not doing this, what does that mean? How how are the crew members going to enforce it? Um, so I just think it's, it is going to be an interesting experience. I'm not quite sure what to expect. Um, 
and the the bubble excursions is a real another really big change that uh, we've seen some of the cruise lines in Europe implementing where in order to disembark the ship in port, you're required now to book a ship-sponsored shore excursion where they can keep you in a small group and monitor who you have contact with to try to cut back on the risk that you could be infected. Um, and then even beyond that, um, because cruise lines still have to make their bottom line with a smaller number of passengers, um, we could see fares go up. And I don't know um, you know, that that remains to be seen. But even the fact that there are now these added costs of having to book excursions where before it was optional and now it's required, the overall cost of cruising, I think we could see that rise a little bit. Yeah, there's definitely going to be a lot of, uh, I don't want to call it fallout, but a lot of new changes and uh, effects, if you will, from a lot of this going on. Um, and, and I totally agree with that. I mean, for the for the simulated sailings, you know, I mean, you're it, 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 obviously there'll be activities and things to do on the ship, but certain things have to be tested out, including uh, quarantine of of passengers, uh, testing. They basically have to run through these all scenarios essentially to satisfy what the CDC is looking for. Now, again, there's there is always a difference, in my opinion, between what is written down like in this forty page document versus what we may actually see in in the actual sailings. Meaning, you know, if they end up doing, I'm just throwing out numbers here because I have no idea. Let's say they do 10 sailings, right? Test 10, 10 test sailings. You know, they may, will they choose maybe to spread out those tests? You know, like testing, you know, this particular thing on one sailing, another thing on another sailing. I don't know. It remains to be seen. But well, under, uh, I think under, the, under this framework that the CDC has put out, they are required to implement all of the protocols on every test sailing that they do. Ah, and okay. they're required to take detailed notes um, and report back to the cruise line uh, something called enhanced data collection. So they have to, um, I believe it's weekly, um, they have to submit these reports to the CDC. And if they have varied or deviated at all from the required protocol, they have to explain why. Um, and the CDC could then require them to do additional test sailings until they get it right. So they are really making sure that the cruise lines are not going to be allowing paying passengers on board until these things are in place. Um, and it's it's extensive. It's, it's pre-cruise testing for crew. Uh, crew have to quarantine for 14 days once they get on board. They are recommending that all crew have single occupancy cabins. How the lines are handling that one, I have no idea. Um, they are, you know, requiring extra sanitation, extra um, hand washing stations, mask wearing, social distancing, even among the crew. And then every um, every day, I believe it is, uh, everyone has to have their temperature checked. I mean, there's just all these steps, and they even have um, requirements that the cruise lines have to have agreements with shoreside medical facilities. Uh, in the event that something does happen and people have to be evacuated from the ship to receive shoreside medical care to make sure that the places where these ships are docking have the medical facilities to accommodate that. Hmm. Um, and if the cruise lines can't prove that they have that in place, CDC is not going to allow them to sail. So this is this goes beyond just actions on the cruise ship. This is what happens when you get to the terminal, what happens when you get on board, what happens when you're in port, what happens when you're back on board, and then what happens when you are disembarking or, you know, what happens if there's an outbreak. 
And there's all these variations to that. That's a great point. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, I'm glad you brought that up because this is, you know, like I said, I mean, this is a big deal to say the least. And, you know, despite all of this, uh, a lot of people have signed up as, as volunteers for this. It's kind of interesting. This has happened in the last couple of days here. And Ashley and I were actually talking about this earlier this morning. But the, uh, the fact that Royal Caribbean is actually taking signups for the volunteers and they've gotten, uh, as of Monday of this week, 100,000 people have volunteered. Whether or not they read through all these rules, I'm not sure. Um, I will say that you and I both signed up as a volunteer, right? YOLO. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I'm, I'm eager to get back on board and I will adhere to whatever protocols they put on me. I, yep. If it means being back on the water, then I'm all about it. Yep. Uh, speaking of the volunteers, by the way, uh, it sounds like a lot, most of the volunteers are going to be cruise line employees, people that work for, in this case, Royal Caribbean, who are not crew, but they're volunteering. Like, you know, they're not getting paid. They're just taking time off to go on a cruise ship. Um, and the requirements are you uh, have to be at least 18 years old. And you need to acknowledge that there's a risk associated with obviously what you're doing is you're testing. Uh, I forget the word that the CDC used. I wasn't like, I'm not sure it was unfounded, but untested protocols, you know, that, yes. that right. <laughs> yeah. Well, they have to cover themselves legally, I'm sure. Um, yep. And, and, you know, there are stipulations that they can't be, if it, if they are employees of the company, they can't be required to sign up. They can't be compensated in order to sign up. Um, so it is very much on a volunteer basis um, so no one is being forced into this by any means. Now I want I want to highlight something that you actually found uh, about what the CDC could sh- or sorry what the cruise lines can share with the CDC about you if you um, are going and is this I'm not sure if this is for test sailings or for all sailings just while the conditional sale order is in effect but something interesting about the medical records and manifest that the the cruise lines could be compelled to produce if if uh, called upon. Yes, so. Under this um, conditional sailing order, there is a stipulation that if there is some sort of outbreak on board, the CDC can force the cruise lines to turn over your medical information Um, and and not to make a bigger deal out of it than it is because um, the the cruise line isn't going to have access to your entire medical history or anything like that. So it's only what the cruise line knows about you, whether that's hey, I'm traveling with oxygen, um, or hey, I need some distilled water sent to my room for my CPAP machine. It's, it's kind of just what you share with them in order for them to make accommodations for you in addition to what the cruise line finds out about you through testing. So if there's an outbreak, I, I would guess it would allow the CDC to be able to look at did you test positive? When did you test positive? Who are you in contact with? Because as we know, contact tracing is a huge thing right now. So it is a limited amount of information, but for people who are concerned about that sort of stuff, it's definitely worth noting. Um, And I know uh, in the US, everyone's aware of HIPAA laws, which have been in place since I think 96. And they're designed to prevent the sharing of your medical records and information without your knowledge or consent. But there are provisions in that law that allow for government entities to bypass that and have access to your information if it's for the purposes of preventing the spread of diseases. That's fantastic. I mean, it's fantastic information right there. Um, not necessarily the news of it, but but the fact that, you know, this is one of these, again, many changes that are going to be part of the, 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 the landscape of cruising, quite frankly, in order to satisfy the, the, the government's um, needs, I guess is the best way I can describe it. 
And there are, there were a couple of other things that stood out to me as kind of uh, things that I have questions about in terms of whether the cruise lines will be altering their conditions and their verbiage in their cruise contracts. Mm -hmm. Um, So before you cruise, you have to sign a cruise contract and most people don't think twice about it. They don't read them because they're just pages and pages of legal jargon. Right. But I, especially now, if you're going to cruise, I would advise you to read them very thoroughly. Um, but the couple of things that I noted, and this has always been the case, but when you sail, if you get sick, you are responsible for any medical costs that you incur, whether that's going to the medical facilities on board Um, Or if you are sick enough that you require a medevac or if the ship has to stop its itinerary and divert to the closest port to get you to a hospital, you're responsible for all those costs. And normally your your own health insurance that you have ashore is not going to cover you abroad or on a cruise. So again, we, you know, always advise getting some travel insurance. But um, I think what's interesting here is that the PVSA comes into play, which is the Passenger Vessel Services Act. And mm-hmm. it basically says that if a ship is sailing from a U.S. port round trip and coming back to the U.S., it has to call on at least one foreign port before it can return to the U.S. So say, for instance, a ship leaves a port in Florida and doesn't make it to a foreign port before somebody on board gets sick, and then the ship has to turn around and go back to the U.S., to seek medical help or whatever the case may be, that could trigger a PVSA violation, which allows the U.S. government to charge hundreds of dollars per passenger in fines. So the cruise lines, um, and all cruise cruise lines have different contracts, so that they may not all s- state this, but a few of them I've seen basically say that the cruise line is allowed to pass those costs onto the ill passengers. So I'm wondering, you know, if the CDC is requiring a cruise line to end a cruise because people are sick with COVID, God forbid, I hope that doesn't happen. But if it does, could the cruise line just add insult to injury for these passengers by saying, hey, guess what? You're also responsible for thousands of dollars in fines. Wow. I mean, that that is crazy. The PVSA, by the way, is the reason why in the U.S. we can't have cruises to nowhere. That's a common question among many cruisers as to why. But that is like, I mean, that is really deep thinking right there. Like if that happens and it's not unreasonable for that to potentially occur where the ship, you know, goes out and immediately has to turn back around, you know, what would they, what would the cruise line do? You know, would they cover the cost? Would they pass it on to the passengers? Does, here's a better question. Does, does travel insurance cover that? Like, is that a covered thing? I'm not sure. Again, always important to read the fine print um, in any situation, but, and I, I would hope now, I, this is maybe wishful thinking on my part, but I would hope that the U.S. government would have a little mercy given right. the current circumstances and issue a waiver for any violations of that kind, but it's not a guarantee. Um, yeah. And something else that was interesting that I have noted in more than one cruise contract is that cruise lines will often say that they make no guarantees about their independent contractors that they have on board. Now, normally you wouldn't think much of a statement like that, but what's important to note here is that medical professionals who are working on board are independent contractors, meaning doctors and nurses. So basically what they're saying is they make no guarantees about the services that will be provided or the qualifications of these people, 
which to me is astounding um, under normal circumstances and under circumstances like this, where the CDC is requiring the cruise lines to beef up their medical staff, make sure they have quarantine facilities and isolation rooms on board, make sure they have enough rapid tests and medical equipment to deal with people who get sick. It's amazing to me that that sort of wording is in some of these contracts. And so again, I'm wondering if the lines are going to have to change some of that up to address this. Yeah. I mean, that's a good point. I mean, I think there's going to be a lot of, uh, again, I hate to use the word fallout. I just can't think of a better synonym for that. But I I think that there's going to be fallout from a lot of these things, a lot of these policies, a lot of these rules that are going to cascade down as you see, uh, you know, the cruises actually start to restart or come close to restarting, you may see a lot more of that. And, and I think to your point, Ashley, you know, when you get to the cruise terminal historically, you know, you signed a couple of things. Mostly it was just, you know, like you don't have any flu conditions or, you know, basic stuff that you really don't have to read all that much over. You kind of gloss over. But now I think you got really got to pay attention to what you're signing uh, up for essentially um, with, with everything that's going on there, because there's going to be a lot of changes. And let's face it, um, people don't read. <laughs> I mean, this is the reality right. of the world we live in. Exactly. That's exactly right. Um, the, the longer it is, I think the less likely people are to read, but right now it's extremely important. Yep. Um, uh, speaking of reading, I was kind of interested. This one intrigued me more than anything was the CDC did read our comments. Remember back earlier this summer when the CDC wanted public comments and everyone was like, are they actually going to read this? Or is this like when the local government asked for a liquor license and you know, they post that sign up on the road and nobody ever goes there and does anything about it. <laughs> like, is, yeah. is, yes. is but they read it, and um, they did. They did. They had uh, nearly thirteen thousand comments. They they opened up a request for public comment. I think back in July, and they closed it in September. And that's a that's a lot of reading, <laughs> thirteen thousand. Uh, and in the in the framework document, this forty page PDF, they they did say um, that about seventy five percent of respondents supported the resumption of cruises with additional precautions in place, of course. Um, Another 25% supported waiting until a vaccine was available, but as you know, they just had some good news about that not too long ago, so hopefully it's moving in that direction. Um, And they also mentioned that 85% of the people who responded said that they support uh, mandatory wearing of masks on sailing, so that's an interesting tidbit too. Yeah, I I was pleasantly surprised by this because, you know, I I always have this perception that, you know, within obviously people like you and me, Ashley, and we love cruising, so we kind of get it. But, you know, a lot of the people, my parents, um, are kind of like, why are you going on a cruise? (laughs) Like, it's kind of, you know, there's very much, unfortunately, a a perception out there about cruises. And um, and, and, and that I would, you know, in terms of obviously a public facing forum, I was worried that there would be a lot more negativity associated with it. But uh, either there isn't or just cruise fans really got the memo about hammering home why they really love to cruise and why cruises should be able to uh, resume. And hey, maybe with the other news I mentioned earlier about the fact that 100,000 people have signed up to be a cruise volunteer, maybe that's not a coincidence. Maybe the, there's a direct correlation between the two. I think I think people love cruising. And I also think people... It's been a long year and people are just really ready to get back to some sense of normalcy at this point. I agree. Yeah. Uh, myself included, by the way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's a, the, I mean, it, it's interesting and also equally interesting. The CDC used that or they say they, they claim they did anyway in, um, in, in coming up with their decision to lift the no sale order and implement the conditional sale order that, uh, you know, the fact that there is public support behind it. So, 
you know, for anyone who is wondering, again, whether or not you believe them or not, that's you can debate that till the end of time. But I will tell you that it, it did say, the CDC did say that it did help. The public opinion did sway their opinion in terms of what to do with the no-sale order. And I think it's a good thing. And I'm glad I filled out my form and sent in my thoughts on it. And, and I'm glad many of you did as well, clearly, because it, it seems to have done something. So that's a win for the cruise industry, if I, if I, if I do say so. And I just think it was um, kind of refreshing that the CDC even bothered to ask for public comment because they don't think it's often that you get to weigh in directly on um, a question that the government is kind of posing to you as an individual. So it's, it was a neat uh, chance to have your voice heard. Okay. Let me ask you this, Ashley. Are you surprised or not surprised that the CDC is saying during this conditional sale, no sale or conditional sale order, sorry, I'm getting my orders and confused. During the conditional sale order, are you surprised or not surprised by the requirement that cruises be no longer than seven days? I am not surprised because I think on a longer, the longer your sailing is, the more likely you are to visit multiple ports. Mm-hmm. Like, um, or the, the more, the more, the more days you're sailing is the more ports you can visit in theory. And, um, I also think that it, I mean, obviously, a, a, a an itinerary can vary, but if you've got a 14 day cruise, for example, you're going to be sailing pretty far out from the, the embarkation port. So if somebody gets sick halfway through, you're looking at several days just to potentially get back to your port of embarkation, which is where the ships are required to return if there is an outbreak. So I think they're just kind of trying to keep the ships fairly close to home, if you will. Right. Um, I could be way off on that, but that's just my take on it. So I'm, I'm not surprised. I think it's a smart move. See, um, I'm, I agree with you, but I'm surprised that it wasn't shorter. Like I, when they said seven days, I was like, it reminded me of like that time you ever know you're going to get in trouble with your parents and when you were a kid. Maybe as an adult, yeah. I guess. But when you yeah. get in trouble with the kid and you go, you're like, oh man, the parents are really going to give it to me now. And you get, you talk to your parents about what happened and they end up going like in the complete opposite direction, almost a leaning <laughs> direction. You're like, you're thinking to yourself, what are they doing? I should be like, they should be like throwing reverse, the book at me. Reverse psychology of some sort. <laughs> yeah, so. <laughs> Where they just, their goal is to confuse you so much that you just never do what you did wrong again. <laughs> right. So in this situation, when I read that, I was like, wow, okay. That was, I thought they'd say, you know, four night cruises and that would have been it. I've been like, okay, well, it's better than nothing. And that would have been, I, I, that would have been my expectation. quite frankly. So the fact that it's not longer than seven days. Yeah. I agree with everything you said there, Ashley, like just, you know, it makes total sense, but the fact they are allowing five, six and seven night cruises still um, is again, a little surprised by that because I thought that was a, um, um, I, I just thought there would be a l- lot less leniency when it came to um, how they were going to handle the 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 restrictiveness, I guess, of, of some of these sailing dates. Yeah, I mean, I guess. Well, part of it is that is the government's own limitations that it's put on the cruise lines, though, right? So, with again, with the PVSA, it eliminates cruises to nowhere. And um, one of the things that is in this order that they have issued is that they the cruise lines need to have um, they need to prove that they have communicated with the ports they're planning to visit to make sure that the ports have fewer than a certain number of ships docked each day. Because if, you know how sometimes, you know, Nassau is one that comes to the top of my mind um, that can have multiple ships in port. 
And the more ships you have, the more potential there is um, to have sick passengers. And so if you've got five or six ships and everybody's, you know, getting sick, the local infrastructure and and, um, medical facilities can't handle that. So my guess is that if they allow cruises of up to a week, it kind of gives the ships more flexibility with the ports they can visit in that amount of time to kind of stagger the calls and make sure there aren't too many ships docked. That's a great point. I never really thought about that, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it's just, I'm glad that it's there. I mean, that's, I think seven is more than fair. So uh, that works. And by the way, all this, the conditional sailing order expires November 1st, 2021. Of course that can always change. It could, it could be uh, shortened. <laughs> Um, oh, we can only hope. <laughs> yeah. Um, I laugh because, of course, the no-sale order constantly said that, and obviously that never happened. <laughs> but, the, um, but the, you know, it also could be extended, so you have to keep that in mind. But it is the, the going uh, rules of the land until further notice, essentially. So I guess the last thing I want to really talk about here, Ashley, there's a lot in this, but looking at the conditional sale order, I mean, is this, how, what, what are your, is this a fair assessment? Is it... Um, I know that earlier you mentioned something that's really important. This is not, you know, the this is not just they open the door and say, "All right, guys, here you go, back out there." I mean, this is still a very restrictive document. It's less restrictive than the no sale order by virtue of the fact that there is a chance of cruises restarting. It's kind of like that Dumb and Dumber uh, bit, where it's like, so you know, it's you're like, telling me there's a chance. chance. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but that, um, it's still restrictive, though. Yeah, I mean, I I think it's fair only because the whole world is watching. The cruise industry has really been made the travel industry scapegoat. And I think they are very aware, the cruise lines are very aware that if they mess this up, if they don't take this seriously, if they don't follow every protocol to the letter, it could set the entire industry back months and these cruise lines are already billions of dollars in debt, so they cannot, they literally cannot afford to have that happen. Um, and I think it's telling because even though the CDC allowed the no-sale order to expire at the end of October, the cruise lines, or at least the, the ones affiliated with CLIA, Cruise Lines Industry Association, voluntarily pushed back their sailings until the beginning of next year. So that kind of tells you they're taking their time. They're making sure that they've implemented everything properly and they're not trying to rush this because it's a very precarious situation right now. Yeah. I I think you, you nailed it right there. I mean, it it is exactly what you're saying. They're taking it seriously. And if for a lot of the um, critics out there who thought, Oh, you know, this is going to be the cruise lines are going to get back into this and they're going to run into a problem immediately. I mean, the proof is in the pudding. You know, they had the the opportunity potentially uh, to be able to restart cruises in, in December initially, and then they, you know, they've canceled those. Um, more cancellations we mentioned are, are almost certain. Um, so there's still a lot of time here. And, and the cruise lines, like you said, are, are taking this extremely seriously. And I, I agree with what you said, that this is very much a, this is your one chance kind of situation. If they blow it, that's it. I mean, you're sitting on the sidelines until, you know, um, somebody forces you to get up and say, okay, you guys can go back again. But at that point, it may be too late. So um, definitely, you know, uh, it's very important. It's it's a good step in the right direction, um, but it is not the open door that uh, maybe some people thought it was going to be. Um, but it's still a good step. It's still, I think, a positive uh, momentum for the cruise industry. And I'm looking forward to seeing what happens here in the next, you know, six to eight weeks or so, especially when these test sailings 
start going on again, especially if you and I actually get to be one of the volunteers. Yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm just, I'm very curious to see how they handle it all, but it's a light at the end of the tunnel. I'm, I'm super excited and um, it cannot come soon enough in my opinion. <laughs> Absolutely. So if you enjoy uh, everything that Ashley had there, she had a lot of great points in this episode, I got to say. Check out cruise.blog. She does a lot of great writing over there about everything happening in the cruise industry, including Royal Caribbean as well. But the industry as a whole, a lot is happening for an industry in which nothing is happening. So be sure to uh, uh, check out her work at cruise.blog. Ashley, thank you so much for joining me here on the podcast. Thank you, Matt. This is great. 